All right, guys, welcome back to the Adam Peter Fitness Podcast. Today on the show, I have Max Strazny. I actually realized it was Strazny, not Stranzi. I was calling you Stranzi forever. Just kind Quick of, correction, it's Strazny. <laughs> you were close, though. You were very close. It's German, right? Yeah. Yep. Do you speak German? I do. Okay, say something in German. Uh, was machst du denn da? <laughs> what does that mean? It means like, uh, what are you doing there? Cool. How it's so like, I guess, uh, are you like originally from Germany or like, like, or, um, is it like your family directly from, from there? Um, so my dad's side of the family is from Germany. Um, and so I am a dual citizen. So I'm a citizen here and a citizen in Germany. Um, but I wasn't born there. I was born in Madison, Wisconsin. So I'm still, uh, you know, primarily an American, uh, but I have that German heritage as well. Cool. Yeah, I've, I've been to Germany once. I went to uh, to meet my sophomore year of uh, of high school, and it was a lot of fun. I I went to yeah. Rome, Munich, London, and Paris, and Munich was probably my favorite place just because like the Germans just just keep things clean. They're like also systematized. And it kind of goes well with my personality. So mm-hmm. I really like that. And the roads are so nice. <laughs> oh yeah, no, and, like all their infrastructure is just really, really well, yeah, well, well kept. They do a great job, but uh, Max is a bodybuilder. Um, he is also has a pretty big following on uh, YouTube, in, in particular Instagram as well. Um, and on this podcast, I kind of just wanted to go over a lot of questions that Max gets on his Instagram and YouTube, um, and also to discuss a little bit about you know contest prep and his his plans and kind of how he's learned a little bit about you know how to program for himself since max is self-coached uh, as, as of right now um and just give you guys some input on how to program for yourself so i guess first off um just because i think it's just cool to see why everybody got in, into this why did you even start lifting yeah so my lifting journey started back when i was i believe like 15 and a half, maybe 16. Um, so I was a soccer player and a swimmer for a lot of my life. Uh, so I was like super, super skinny, like in high school, sophomore year, I remember being like, like 120 pounds, uh, at like five foot 10. So I was a really skinny, no, like probably more six foot at that point. I'm currently six foot one. Uh, but like throughout my childhood, I'd gotten like bullied a lot for being small. Um, and like I, I started watching some people on like YouTube. So like I watched like David Blade, I saw that type of shit. Um, and it wasn't until I had like this uh, back injury that I got like way back when I was initially starting with lifting. Um, like one of my first sessions that I went, um, I actually had a broken hand. So I was doing these like single arm, like deadlift variations. And I ended up like feeling a snap in my lower back. And uh, long story short, I ended up having like a bulging disc in my spine, uh, which got me really interested in like uh, learning a lot more about how to lift safely, um, looking into some research as to how to rehabilitate my injury, um, along with a lot of physical therapy, uh, which also uh, sparked my interest in becoming a physical therapist. But um, that's like what really got me into uh like wanting to lift because like I, I had already wanted to with like my broken hand, but 
once I got that injury, um, I had heard from the doctors and like my parents and stuff that um, I was going to be like compromised my whole life and that I should never like do squats or deadlifts. And, you know, me, me being me, I was like, fuck that, dude, I want to lift. Uh, this is a goal that I have. And um, I like really, really got into it after that started like a simple five by five program and um, like four and a half years later, here I am. Yeah. I always think it's, it's interesting seeing um, the, the, the motivation um, and kind of how that, that injury got you, I guess, a little bit more, you know, wanting to know actually how to program for yourself and uh, mm -hmm. also that, that career change. Because I, I find it's really interesting too, with like injuries, um, like, and you can tell a lot about a person with how they do respond to that adversity or like if they do just listen or if they're like really set on just creating, on just creating their, their own path. Um, 100%. Especially because like right now, and the more I've learned about this sort of thing, I mean, doctors will usually say like, don't do that because they, they don't really like their thing is to do no harm. And yeah, usually they don't have the actual, the actual like education to actually know how to rehab. So they just say, don't do the, do that right so, um yeah so awesome um so obviously you got started off with like watching david lee which is kind of how i think a lot of people especially you know our age got mm -hmm. into it um and obviously david has more of the whole power building um emphasis where it's mostly you know squat bench deadlift and then you do some bodybuilding accessories afterwards so i kind of wanted to ask you about you know what was your experience doing that and then what made you make the decision to change into really just strict bodybuilding training yeah so i think this should i should start explaining that from like back when like i would say like a year and a half or two years into my training i started like doing more of the power building approach i was like training on some like similar programs to like what david laid was doing and um i had also gotten coached by elliot atwell for a little bit so uh, you know, I was doing power, uh, that power building training for a while. And I, and then I think while I was at home, there was somebody, uh, at my YMCA, uh, uh back in Wisconsin that started talking to me about like RP a little bit. And, um, so I, I looked up RP and I was, uh, just trying to learn as much as I could. And I learned the importance of like specificity, so that's what initially got me into training, like specifically for uh, powerlifting, because uh, my current goals at that point were to like be really strong, have a really big deadlift, you know, big bench, big squat. Um, so I ended up joining a powerlifting team for about a year or so. And um, then like I was, you know, training much more specifically for powerlifting and not trying to do both goals at once. And I made a lot of progress that way. And then, um, and then, so this was, I think in 2020 when, uh, like quarantine hit and everything, I was training in a garage gym and like with powerlifting, uh, with like the high frequencies of super heavy sessions and stuff. Um, I, I always struggled with a bit of like injuries, like personally, I've not been someone to just never get injuries. Um, they've happened to me quite a few times now and my body just, I feel like has a higher proclivity for injury compared to people that are more like built for powerlifting. So, uh, 
like during quarantine training, I was training at like a garage gym and I ended up getting like this SI joint injury, which lasted for like a few months, which like sucked. That, that was probably the worst injury I've ever had. And, uh, and, and at that point I was like, well, if I'm going to keep getting these injuries then I won't even be able to like train for strength the way I want to. Um, and I also have like goals where I want to be like big, like I kind of wanted to use powerlifting and strength training as a means to get bigger. But the more I learn about specificity and uh, the importance of actually training for the goals that you have, um, I decided to drop powerlifting, quit the powerlifting team I was on and start bodybuilding. And so like mid 2020 is kind of when I um, really started getting into bodybuilding. So how did that impact your results once you started being a little more specific, especially with, with, with bodybuilding training? Oh, uh, the results I got, um, were like huge, but it made a lot of sense because I was actually training specifically for hypertrophy and not trying to train for strength and hypertrophy at the same time. Um, and like the results, like I, I remember, um, just like really like, like front to back thickness was something that I noticed pretty quickly with bodybuilding training because I was doing more, like more volume and, uh, not focusing so much on load. Um, and I, I, I didn't like gain a ton of body weight, but, um, like I was certainly a lot leaner and, um, I had more muscle mass than I did, um, when I was powerlifting, like within, like six months of bodybuilding training, I would say. Yeah. So I, I, I think that you, you put out something that that's really good. Something that, um, you know, I do, I do talk about quite a bit. Um, I really think anybody who has, you know, tried to do power building, um, you know, initially works decently well for a little bit because obviously mm -hmm. it's a novel stiff stimulus and, and whatnot. Um, but you definitely do need to change your, your programming basically to that specificity and the specificity just is for those listening that don't really understand the principle it's exactly what, what Max said with whatever your goals are, your program all needs to be revolved around that number one principle. That's number one principle of any diet or training program and power building immediately violates that because you're kind of all over, all over the place. So say that you're trying to do like, like, unless you set up with like a DUP approach, like you have like a strength day and like a hypertrophy day, like even then, like it, it's not going to be as maximally productive as if you're just training for one, for one goal. Um, I also think that you said something really good about powerlifting is definitely not for everybody in the sense that you need to be really resilient to that injury and have the joints yeah. and the structures that can actually take that, that, that beating. Um, and then like, just, it's interesting because I noticed that um, when I personally did my powerlifting training, um, I've only really been specifically training around squat bench and deadlift because usually what I've found for myself is bodybuilding is a lot more about training the muscles and then powerlifting is about training the movements. And then usually how I, how I structure training weeks and whatnot, it reflects that. And that's kind of how my program has, has been set up. And then ever since I, you know, went away from just like trying to do like mostly hypertrophy work, which is most of what my training was. Um, I've noticed that once I started training movements and powerless more specifically in having my program around that, like my results also got much, much better with my strength. Um, I want to ask you one thing with powerlifting. This is something that I've noticed is that um, in terms of like MRVs, like maximum recoverable volumes, I noticed that like number one difference between routine, like bodybuilding and powerlifting training for myself 
was like how much direct back work I could actually tolerate. Like with the actual squat oh, yeah. and deadlift, like I just can, like my MRB is super low. It's like 14 sets a week. Whereas if I was to like take away those, you know, even just go down a lot, like once a week squatting and maybe just start to like a leg press or once a week deadlifting, like I can add basically like another four sets, which is quite a big deal. Do you know, did yeah. you feel most that happened to you? I, yeah. Uh, well, like with my powerlifting training, um, I, I didn't do a whole lot of direct back work. Um, like it was very, very specific training. I would say like the amount of back work I did per week was maybe something like, um, maybe like 10, like eight to 12 sets a week or something of direct back work on top of like doing squats and deadlifts. Uh, but with like bodybuilding, um, at one point during my mass over the past year, I was training back three times a week and I was able to recover from like 25 sets a week. So, yeah. Yeah. So and, and obviously the gains were much better, right? Yeah. And, and also one thing I, I do want to touch on, like with the power building thing, we also just talked about, um, the power building, I do think is an okay way to train if that's like what you enjoy. And if you're not trying to like compete in either bodybuilding or powerlifting, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and usually like, well, a lot of powerlifting programs do look like actually, or kind of like, like at least the, at least the good ones, they are well-designed power building programs. Mm -hmm. Um, because like something that people don't understand about powerlifting training is that like, like the hypertrophy base is like a huge thing. Like, power, like powerlifters mostly train like bodybuilders unless they're peaking. Is usually what you're is usually what, what you'll find. But they just do squat, bench, and, and dead and deadlift. Um, so I think all that was uh, really good. So I guess uh, let's go over like your recent um, mass phase because so I guess like a little bit of a bit of background is I know that you, that you did a cut down to 170 pounds or something like that. Um, and then you decided like, I want to get bigger. And so I guess what was your whole mindset during that? And what did you learn over that time period? Like, just like explain like the, the ins and outs of it. Sure. Yeah. So because, sorry. sorry. I, one, one last thing I want to say is especially because like, I know a lot of kids are like you and I are tall, thin, naturally thin, um, and gaining weight tends to be the hardest part of this whole process for us. So like, and like maybe some, some tips also for like the skinny guys. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so to start, um, I, I did do a cut, I think it was like eight or 10 weeks total, which was like the longest cut that I've ever done. I, I haven't done a whole lot of cuts in my life. Uh, I think that was the only like legit cut I had done. I'd done a mini cut before, but um, that was the first like legit cut I had done. And I got down to 170 pounds and, um, I went on like vacation and then like, I, I did have a plan to have a nice, like productive mass after that. Um, so, so like, while I obviously wanted to get bigger, it, it, it wasn't the plan to, uh, do a nice big mass after that. Um, and basically if I remember correctly, let me see here. I have like a huge Excel sheet with all of my bodybuilding training, which is really, really cool to look back at. Um, I, th I think I did like four, four mesocycles of massing, um, which were like super productive. Like these are all consecutive mesocycles of massing, not to say that that's a, a good idea. I probably should have incorporated a little bit more maintenance phases into there. Um, but I did four mesocycles of it 
And um, during that time, I think from, I went from about 170 pounds up until, or up to 185-ish. And I would say within those mesocycles, like my um, like muscle growth was the best, like up until I was about 185 pounds, like the gains I was making were just like, like super incredible. Like I didn't expect to be making those kind of gains. And I stayed like really fairly lean throughout the entire mass, which was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, you didn't get above like 12% body fat, which is like yeah. lean. Yeah. 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 That was really cool. I, I, I didn't really expect that because I was eating a lot of food. Uh, personally, my, my metabolism is pretty crazy. So during the mass, I got up to, I think, um, like 47 or 4,800 calories a day, which was a lot of food, but I was like really, really used to it towards the end. So like, um, so like I, I had a really good schedule. Well, I guess this is, these are some tips for like uh, skinny guys that struggle to gain weight. Number one, I think the most important thing is to have like a schedule and an idea of what you're going to eat, uh, when you're going to eat it. And um, just like kind of know what you're going to eat before you actually get to your day. Like, I feel like if you go in without a plan and you just have to come up with 4,800 calories in a day, like that's just not going to happen unless you have a like plan and you know what you're going to eat and you know the foods that you're able to eat a lot of. Uh, I, I just feel like it's all really important. Just having a plan is like super important. Um, and also like having a plan um, allows you to have a lot of consistency. Um, so, you know, eating similar things day to day was something that I did. Um, and, and just like not missing meals, I think was a really important thing. And also eating out, um, I, I, I did eat a decent bit of junk food during the mass. Uh, like I didn't really try to do it all clean, like eating 4,800 calories clean would be really fucking hard. And I'm going to be honest, I did not do that. I'd like cinnamon rolls every Saturday, like a full pack of cinnamon rolls every Saturday. That was like one of my, my, my big, uh, mass foods that I had. Uh, I definitely had my fair share of Caniac combos from Cane's. Um, had my fair share of Oreos, you know, uh, but, but, but that being said, uh, like, you know, the, the base of the diet should be definitely composed more of like fruits and veggies. So you actually get your fiber in, I think getting your fiber in, is really important. So you don't just get super constipated or something when you're massing. I feel like that's an issue a lot of people have. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think also as far as my macros go, um, I was consistently eating like a good 200 grams of protein a day. So slightly in excess of a gram per pound of body weight, which is probably a little bit unnecessary now that I think about it. Um, and I was eating like around a hundred grams of fat towards the end of the mass. I started biasing a little bit more to fats just because it's easier to get more calories down with a little bit higher fats, but my carbohydrates were like in excess of like 600 grams per day for pretty much the whole mass which was a lot of food to eat, a lot of carbohydrates to eat, but I got a rice cooker and that made it really easy. So that's a great tip. Get a rice cooker. <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah, as, as far as like rate of gain goes, I gained about like a pound per week. 
um, during the training weeks on deloads. So every like five or six weeks, I just went on maintenance. So just enough to maintain the body weight I was at, which is sometimes like technically in like that surplus as my body was adapting to the calories that I was eating. Um, like my massive calories quickly became maintenance calories, you know? <laughs> so just kind of had to make quite a, quite a bit of jumps up with calories. And overall, I think the mass was like eight months long. Yeah. So I guess, um, I guess just out of curiosity, where did you start your calories at? Um, because you ended up at 4,800. Mm -hmm. I believe I started my calories at like 30, mm, like 35 or 3,800, I think if I can remember. Yeah. And, um, how frequently did you increase calories and like, what made you, I guess, like what were the decision-making criteria for when to increase calories and by how much did you usually add? Yeah. So typically the way I increased my calories was, uh, really a lot based on how the scale was moving. If the scale wasn't moving, I was going to increase my calories. Uh, you know, there are a lot of other things involved like, like stress and, um, the amount of sodium you intake and whatnot. But, um, like during a mass, I, uh, like really like to st stick to the scale because I think if you're not gaining, like if you're not actually gaining weight during your mass, the chances of you actually adding tissue are pretty low. So I was really, really focusing on the scale. I weighed myself every day. And if I had like, uh, like a week of, uh, like eating and, and massing where I didn't gain any weight at all, I would usually like add a little bit of food to that. Um, and the additions that I would make would usually be like 200 to 300 calories a week. Yeah. Um, I usually recommend, um, about two weeks before making a sort of change on the mass, just because, just because like I, myself, I'm a little bit like more conservative with, with that yeah. sort of, sort of, sort of a thing, but I don't think your approach was that was wrong at all. Um, especially I would say that you're really trying to just maximize that, that, that gain. I think that's something that you have to do. Um, I also really like how you place that emphasis on, you know, actually getting that scale moving because I do, excuse <laughs> me. Um, I do think that that's a really important part about this whole thing that a lot of people, um, it's, it can be really easy to be like, Oh, like my training is going well and like whatever. And, mm. um, if you're not gaining weight, body weight over time, you're probably not really putting on that much muscle, especially if you're relatively lean, like you were during that entire time. Like usually if you're like under 12% body fat, like you're probably not going to be, you know, have the actual energy to really maximize that muscle growth as opposed to say, if you're like a little bit higher, you might be able to get away with it a little bit, a little bit more. Um, and so like kind of just being like a little more sort of with, with the calories. And I, I really like what you said about having like a meal schedule. So I wanted to delve into that a little bit more. And you said, you know, finding foods that work for, for you, um, incorporating some, some junk, I guess, would you mind going through like what a typical structure will, will look like since I assume it's fairly similar day to day? Yeah. So because I had started the, like, like before I started the mass, I was like on a cut. I think I was eating like four meals a day uh, while I was cutting. And basically what I did for at least the first few, the first couple of mesocycles of massing was I stuck with four meals a day. Um, and just ate like very similar foods to what I was eating during the cut, because like, like during a cut, like you aren't eating that much food and you're just like, dang, I would really just like a little bit bigger meals here. 
So I, I just kind of like added more food into the meals I was already eating. And um, I, I pretty much rode that until like the meal size got so large where I was like, man, I like don't want to eat this amount of food anymore. So then I just added in another meal um, and that made things a lot easier and that allowed my body weight to continue going up. Um, so, so that definitely helped a lot. And I think I ran, I believe like five meals a day, um, for the rest of my mass. I don't think I ever got to like six, but like towards the end of my mass, I was like doing the five meals a day, but also having like maybe a little bit of snacks in there or something. Um, and also one thing about my massing that, uh, just like how it usually goes for me is it's, it's never happened to me where I like ate way too much in a surplus and like gained a shitload of weight that I didn't mean to gain. Like it takes my body like so much food in order to gain that um, like typically I'm not worried about adding a little bit of food because my body like will just, you know, do everything in its power to stay the same weight. Like it's like the gain just comes after like being really consistent with that surplus and, you know, just always being in the surplus. So yeah, I, I think that's actually so something that um like like uh you know, basically how adaptive your metabolism is upwards. You know, obviously going from a thirty five hundred calories or thirty eight hundred whatever within that range to you know literally a thousand calories above it within an eight month time period. Like that's a pretty high adaptation mm-hmm. upwards. Um, and I think that that's important for people to uh, take into consideration, especially if you're naturally a thinner person. You're you're probably yeah. not going to have to have that risk of, of fat gain the way that you would or if you do um cutting is so easy for people yeah. like us um especially because you know like like, like what you said you know you ended your mass on like 4800 100 calories you know you could go in like a very big deficit like a thousand calories for that, for that point and be you know mid 35 500s and that's still plenty of food um yeah. so i guess uh like you said that your, your meals were basically similar day to day. Would you mind giving a little bit of context as to like what the specific foods were like different meals? Sure. Yeah. Um, let's see if I can remember correctly for quite a while. I ate um, like, like two bagels in the morning with peanut butter and a smoothie. That was like my go-to breakfast for a long time. Um, typically then I would get home. I would have, um, so, so I guess I was having like kind of five meals a day here because I would eat like maybe a couple of granola bars or a couple of Rice Krispie treats. And then I go hit the gym, um, like between my classes and whatnot. And then I would come home from the gym. I would have my lunch, which usually consisted of, uh, well, for a while I, I didn't have a rice cooker, so I didn't make good rice. So I hated rice, <laughs> but I, I would have like, uh, some sort of pasta. I would have like ground Turkey, um, or chicken and, uh, like some mixed veggies. And then, um, a couple hours later I would have my dinner, which, um, dinner was a place where I would like vary things a little bit. That was the place where I would have like some different meals. Um, so sometimes it would be like, like steak and, uh, sweet potato fries and maybe like some other vegetable, but other times it could also be like, um, like some sort of rice and like seafood, like shrimp or tilapia or something like that. Something a little lower in fat. Um, 
So like my dinners could really vary quite a bit. Uh, and then my last meal of the day would always be the same, which would always be um, like uh, 340 grams of non-fat Greek yogurt with some granola and some honey. And that's like, like the meal that I literally have had every single night for like the past like three years. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really like um, just the reason why I, I thought it would know, it'd be good to go into that is because I really do find that um, having that structure, like, like you said, and having those foods that, you know, you're not thinking about too much. You kind of know this is what works well for, for, for me. And I know that Eric Collins has also talked about having like a default diet structure basically yeah. because even if you're going to like a cut, like I always say, like habits should be built during maintenance and massing, like during those periods. And then you still carry those into mini cutting or cutting. Um, it's just maybe slightly different principles um, apply of you know food choices, but having that general structure that works really well for you, choosing foods that that you still enjoy, that you tolerate well. Um, so um, that's all really really awesome stuff. Um, and obviously, you didn't neglect your fruit or vegetables too during that time. So that's also really 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 good. Um, I know that we have had plenty of conversations about this, but I know that one thing that you did that you did change was the importance of actually getting in a daily activity outside of the gym um mm -hmm. actually shooting for a step count so i guess let's talk about like your first mass and the differences between neat and outcomes and like whatnot just yeah. for those that are, are unaware neat stands for non-exercise activity therm thermogenesis and uh, it's basically just subconscious movements or say you know step counts are a good way to basically measure that neat or daily activity um so I'll, I'll let you go from uh go from here sure so during my sophomore year of college, which was 2020 to 2022 to 2021, sorry, not two years long. Um, I pretty much like, like this was during quarantine and like I was doing all of my classes online. Um, so I was spending a lot of time in my apartment and the only time that I would leave was when I went to the gym. So overall, like during the day, I would get something probably like three to 5,000 steps a day. And that made things so hard. And I can't believe I did that. Like, number one, it's unhealthy to move that little. Like, I was pretty much sedentary. Um, and I was, like, massing during that time. So, like, I had no appetite at all. Uh, like, like, I would just eat, go in my room, come back out, eat after another two hours. Just, like, just keep doing that. And like my appetite was terrible. I like hated massing so much. Um, like tra training was going okay. Um, but I would say like when I started this mass and I, I, I did my neat completely differently, um, my gains were a lot better. Like I, I, I didn't gain as much body fat as quickly. Um, I was able to have a good appetite throughout my mass. Um, like eating a lot of food wasn't that difficult for me. I didn't hate massing. I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, but like during this most recent mass, my neat was somewhere around like 10 to 12,000 steps a day. So like pretty much double the amount of neat that I was doing as compared to my first mass back in sophomore year. Yeah. Um, that's something that I think a lot of people neglect. And I know that my, my coaching experience, um, and that's actually one of the biggest things that I always change with, with, with my clients. So I'm like, okay, like, let's get a step goal. Let's like move around more than 5,000 steps a day. Like, let's get, you know, more towards yeah. that. Uh, I know that Dr. Mike Israel, which we'll talk about him soon. 
Um, it usually recommends, you know, that 10 to 15,000 step range is a really awesome mm -hmm. place to just be in general. Um, not only does it help with like digestion, better body composition, there's actually was a really cool research article in, in mass, which is about the application and strength sport. Uh, a research review by Eric Trexer, Eric Helms, Mike Zordos, um, and Greg Knuckles, um, where they were talking about how like you need to have like there's worse like recovery training outcomes, body composition outcomes like under eight thousand steps per day. Um, so yeah. even if you do oh, weight yeah. train and you do that's that, it's like um, you still need to get that physical activity. I know that Mike also in a video recently he's like. <laughs> Taught, he was kind of making fun of bodybuilders who don't really focus on that step count. They just do cardio. They're like, I do, we'll do 45 minutes of cardio. They're like, come mm -hmm. on, do nothing, brother. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So you got like 5,000 steps a day. You're still sedentary. Uh, yeah, dude. Like, also, like, like while that research, um, like, like, shows that, dude, you should get a little bit more steps than that. Like, taking the amount of, or being as sedentary as I was last year during my mass um like literally everything was worse like life as a whole was worse <laughs> like I I think the reason that I did it was because I was like super hyper focused on specificity and I, I wanted all of my like energy to be burned in the gym and uh and like I thought anything else would be like like taken away from my recovery capacity and stuff like that so uh yeah terrible idea don't be as sedentary as i was <laughs> and get your ten thousand steps a day yeah it'll, it'll and like you said it'll only help your your appetite and your diet and your digestion exercise is directly supportive of a healthy gut so and your mood and just how your life goes as a whole honestly yeah I, I, absolutely so i think that was um, a really really good general overview of you know massing advice for um hard, hard gainers and, and and whatnot so um, I guess, so obviously we talked a little about Renaissance periodization, RP. Um, mm -hmm. so I wanted to first go off and you know, I know they were, or they are, and, and were your number one sources of inspiration and advice, which, um, you know, they have like an amazing YouTube channel. They've been absolutely crushing it. It's like, you could basically get, get your degree from Renaissance periodization's YouTube channel and all this stuff. Right in terms of learning about how to self-coach, what are your biggest pieces of advice with that? Because I there is there is an art to it. It's difficult, but you were very successful with it. So how did you go about really learning things for yourself? And what is our advice for other people who you know, may be interested in doing this them, themselves? They're a kid in college. They can't really afford uh, to, to hire a well-qualified coach. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so... Number one thing I would say is like always be a student to the game. Like there's always more that you can learn. Um, and I would also say that a really important thing is to be like, if you're self-coaching, you need to be objective about your training, um, how things are going. You're, you need to be objective about your diet. You can't be making emotional decisions. There's just not room for that. Um, that's, uh, that that's where like a coach comes in, like the coach is able to make those objective decisions for you. Um, and like, like for sure have no emotions in it, but like, if you're self-coaching, it's really important to like be able to be objective about it or as objective enough in order to allow your training to actually do something. So, uh, for example, you need to, um, stick with an exercise for like 
at least five weeks if you really want to like see if it's going to be helpful for you. Um, like you can't just be like, oh, like I don't really feel like doing this exercise. It didn't feel good last week. I'm just going to go ahead and do something else. Uh, like then you just don't give the exercise enough time to actually work. Um, so I think that's really important. Um, and then like places to learn from, like I think it's really important to always try to like learn from people that are smarter than you. Um, like I feel like a lot of people in bodybuilding or, or it's easy for people to get results and then say like, well, my way is the best. Like, this is the only way that you can, uh, gain muscle and no other way is better than what I'm doing. And I think it's important to, um, like keep an open mind when it comes to, uh, training in general, um, like, bodybuilding and powerlifting and stuff is all like very um clouded by a lot of anecdotal uh evidence and while anecdotal evidence is important there's also some fundamental scientific evidence out there that gives you like a basic uh like framework of what your training should look like and you know uh, RP is a great place, like a great place for information to like be able to build that framework for yourself. And, um, you know, RP has been a great, uh, like, like source of information for me. I've also listened to like so many episodes of arrive stronger. That is probably like my most listened podcast ever, or probably the, the, the thing I've listened to most on Spotify. <laughs> so, I definitely recommend uh, uh, listening to that. Um, and then I, I think there's also a lot of benefit in like, like following specific people on like Instagram, like people that you, uh, that, that you can learn from and maybe people that uh, like challenge how you think. So for example, um, I'm like super involved with the like, like science, like, like science evidence-based community. Um, but I, I, I do see that there is um, some stake in uh, some anecdotal evidence because there's not a ton of studies out there that, that um, like tell you exactly how you should train. There's not a lot of studies on like healthy like individuals and there's absolutely not a lot of studies on people that are trained because number one, people don't want to be like, okay, I'm going to join this study and I'm going to screw off with whatever I was planning on training and do whatever these researchers tell me to do. Like it, it takes a lot for people to actually commit to that and like commit to something that would be a longitudinal study. So studies are limited. So anecdotal evidence, um, while there's a lot of bad anecdotal e evidence out there, there's also a lot of good anecdotal evidence and there's a lot of grains of truth in there. So um, some people that I followed, to um, like see how they do things are people like like from the Camp Jansen coaching um, team. So like one in particular was like Nick Loff. Um, some of the stuff that he posts about sometimes is a little bit uh, like like disagreeing with some more like science based stuff. Um, but I think it's important to like like follow people that challenge the way you think. So so you so you don't like. Uh, stick to one approach and uh, like don't allow your mind to be open and actually like critically think about what you're uh, doing your training. I think that's all really great advice on, um, you know, but being objective first and foremost with, with, with yourself, um, you know, basically um, being very, very 
honest with, with, with yourself and letting those emotions does guide your um decisions on um, being willing to also stay open to new information and always kind of wanting to somewhat improve your process because i think that that's something that you know i'm coached um right now um but a lot of it is like guided by myself since i am a, a coach and one of the things that my coach and i always do after every single training block or every single training cycle is we think how could we improve upon this past training block how could we yeah. you know what are other areas that we could improve upon um because okay. i think it's a, like while you can't find something that does work for you for, for you like there's always ways that you, you can't improve it and plus because we know of one of the sub principle of um you know specificity is also that you know there's going to be like adaptive resistance, adaptive resistance built up over time. So you need to like change something up in some meaningful way over time, whether or not that's exercise selection, a certain rep range that you're using, um, whatever it could, could be. There's always ways that you can poke holes in your system and find ways to be better. And then also finding just sources of information that are well qualified, I think, first and foremost, like, and usually yes. that comes down to, do they actually have an education in this or not? Because um, I do think that is extremely important and you should probably form the bulk of your, you know, your training decisions off of that. But like you, what you said, there's also limitations to studies. And so you need to be willing to look around and say like, okay, like based off of these principles I have learned from science, what are different ways that, that people are applying this and how is that working out for them? How can I apply this to myself is, um, really important. And so, um, I, I bet that you've just spent, you know, obviously this is your passion. So you have spent hours and hours and hours. So that is one caveat. If you really want to self coach, if you really want to do that this well, and really understand things, you need to actually have an education and understand the, the nuances a little bit, because unfortunately there's not one black and white answer. There's only principles and it is going to change over time, depending upon where you're at in whatever phase that you are at. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, you do bring up a really really good point that i did want to touch on um i i do think it's very important to take most of your information from people that have a background in science you know that people that actually understand physiology that know the like the fundamentals of how the human body works um like that will uh like tell you so much and it will allow you to have a, a basic understanding of how things should work and will allow you to understand like exercises or like ways of training from more of like a um uh, uh like a fundamental basis to like actually understand if they should work or not so like i think it's important to like follow people that have an education and not just follow you know that one dude on tiktok you know that doesn't have any education and just like spits out stuff that he thinks works. Um, I, I think it's really important to have that uh, background of education. So that should definitely form like the most of like what your information is from. Whenever you are looking at those case studies of like, hey, like this works well for this bodybuilder, always, always, always come back to those principles. Why does that work? Yep. You know, um, understand the mechanisms behind what's going on yeah one of the things that, that does bother me and i know that jared, jared and brother and i have, have talked about about this off and on um is like people that say like it works for me science is useless it's like it's working because of some principle of science like exactly. it, it informs everything that you're doing and whether or not you you know exactly like why it works 
it's working because of some underlying mechanism. I, I do find that, you know, what I found for myself, a lot of clients is that like, if they can understand like why I'm asking them to do something, something or like why something is working, their buy-in is way better. And they're going to be like, and it's so, like Steve Hall talks about it. Like, it's like a boat. It's like a guiding ship. It's like, and one thing is so cool that once you understand that and why something's happening, all you have to do is just trust the, like, the, the, the plan, follow it. And you know, you're going to get results. Whereas I think a lot exactly. of people with this go throughout wishing and, and hoping. And they're like, I hope this works. It might not work. I don't know. If you actually understand yeah. science, it's like, I know for certain if I follow this plan with these principles, I'm going to get X result. Yeah. And if you don't get results, you know how you can change it to Absolutely. get results. It's yep. so cool. And, and like, I feel like that's just like, like there's so much free information out there. Uh, if you're going into the gym and just like, like doing what you want and like our arts kind of like, like throwing coins in the wishing well, just hoping that you're going to, uh, make some gains like you don't have to do that there's so much good information out there and and you can design a training program that fits your goals exactly and will actually be able to get you to your goals like for sure makes so much makes so much sense and uh like it just feels so good to be able to like do something and like know that you're going in the right direction you know i agree um so i guess uh going forward uh to wrap things things up let's talk a little bit about so your competition prep plans, and then uh, this recent internship that you landed with a pretty cool company. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, my competition plans, I will be competing um, on September 24th at a show here in St. Louis. I believe it's called the NANBF Gateway Natural. Um, so I'm starting prep next week, Monday. So I'm about six, six days out from starting prep, which is going to be an 18-week prep. Um, I was really going to do like 16 weeks. Well, to start, it was going to be 20 weeks and then we switched to 16 weeks. I'm pretty lean. Um, but I ended up deciding to go for 18 because this is my first prep. Um, and I wanted to have enough time and also enough time to like have maybe a diet break in there. Uh, like when I go home and stuff, uh, but this will be my first prep ever really excited for it. I'm going to be coached by Sam Okinola who is an RP elite physique coach. If you don't know who he is, definitely follow him. Um, and so I'm definitely in good hands for prep. And yeah. Awesome. Um, and so I guess going over your internship for, for RP, which I know that you just got that. Yeah. Yeah. So also going off of RP as Sam is an RP coach. Um, I had met um, Mike and Jared and Charlie back at the NPC Midwest in 2021, um, which was the, uh, which was a bodybuilding show here in St. Louis. They literally were like 10 minutes away from my apartment. So like, I, I, I think I learned about the show, like maybe a week in advance or something. And I was like, holy shit, I'm about to meet the RP guys. Uh, so I was like fanboying super hard, ended up going to it. Um, and like Sam and I like, uh, went to that together. And, um, so like I met all the guys, which was really cool. Had talked with Mike a lot about like, um, like my major and stuff. Like I was kind of thinking about maybe going for athletic training instead of physical therapy. So I talked about that a lot. And, um, since then I've talked with Mike, like off and on, um, every now and then if I had like questions about training or stuff. And, um, more recently, uh, this, uh, 
I would say about like a month ago, I was like thinking about some internships and uh, like I was thinking about doing like an internship here in St. Louis. But then I was also like, you know, what if there would be something I could do for RP? That would be really cool. Um, and, and it would be cool to be involved with RP, like maybe for the long term, you know, uh, but having an internship is kind of getting into it. But I ended up messaging Mike and I was like, hey, you know, like I'm, I'm looking for an internship. I was wondering if there's anything I could do for you guys. Um, and turned out that um, he did have something to do for me. And I'm currently running Dr. Mike's TikTok. So uh, that's what I'm doing right now. So it's a little internship, but it's been great. And uh, I, I, I definitely learned a lot. And it's, and it's really, really cool to be working with uh, RP. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So um, I guess uh, where can people find you? They you don't know, follow along your, your, your prep and whatnot. Sure. So uh, I, I, I would say I'm probably most active on Instagram. So I'm at Max Strozny. That's M-A-X-S-T-R-A-Z-N-Y. And then uh, I'm, I'm, I'm also fairly active on YouTube. I'm going to have a prep series on YouTube. Um, and that is also just Max Strozny. And I also have a TikTok if you want to follow me there. I don't post on there quite as much, but Instagram and YouTube are my shit. So I appreciate the follow and appreciate the listen. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you for coming on. I appreciate you guys uh, for listening. And I'll talk to you guys in the next one. Peace.